Great, thank you so much, Dan, and it is great to be back uh, with you guys. Uh, this is a photo of my wife and our four children, and uh, I wondered if I could begin, uh, as is customary, uh, just by telling you a funny story. Would that be okay? Okay, good. Um, I would say, looking back over 25 years now of married life, there have been some big events, uh, moving from Rygate to Birmingham, moving from Birmingham to central London, moving two and a half years ago from London to Camberley in Surrey, where we now live. I would say having two children close to the start of our married life, and then we had a six-year gap, then we had two more children. These are all big events. But I'd say, looking back over those 25 years, actually, my relationship with Julia has basically stayed exactly the same all the way through those 25 years until, that is, just four months ago. Because four months ago, when I was standing in the kitchen with our four children, at about seven o'clock at night, early evening, Julia, my wife, walked into the kitchen wearing a new tracksuit <laughs> that she had recently purchased. And she looked at me and our four kids and made the following declaration at 7 p.m. She said, from now on, she said, from now on, once I've got my white fox on, no one can ask me to do anything. <laughs> now, I'm sure that you would agree with me that when it's 11 o'clock at night and you're in your pajamas, it's totally reasonable to say to your husband and your kids, look, it's 11 o'clock at night. I'm in my pajamas. From now on, no one can ask me to do anything. That's not what we're talking about here. This is an early evening. <laughs> unprecedented change in our relationship. <laughs> Folks, think of all the practical things that I want done. <laughs> in between 7 and 11 p.m. at night. And now they've all been ruled out by this arbitrary change announced in a sort of unilateral way. From now on, once I've got my white fox on, no one can ask me to do anything. Now, you may well be wondering and you may well be asking, Adrian, why is it, given that you, Adrian, are an adult, why are you so dependent, why are you so heavily reliant upon your wife to perform these practical tasks? And that is a very good question. But I can honestly say that I am as excited now about my relationship with Julia as I was on the day when we were married. It's been brilliant and it is amazing. And both of us would say that the best thing about being alive, the best thing about our marriage, is that we have a relationship with God. And I want to encourage you, if you're not sure, if you have got that relationship with God, if you want to know the security and the power of the love of God in your life, I'd love to give you an easy opportunity to begin that relationship afresh this morning. So if you don't know for sure that if, perish the thoughts, you were to die tonight, you don't know for sure that you go to heaven, you'd say, well, hope so. No, if you don't know for sure, 
I want to encourage you, you can know for sure before you leave this place this morning. Because even though none of us are good enough, Jesus Christ is good enough. And he does all the work. And so if he does all the work, you can be sure. So once we're done with this message, I'll call the band back up. Dora will lead us in a song. And then we'll all be standing up. And then I'll come back and a prayer, a response prayer will appear on the screens. And if you want to make that your prayer, everybody's eyes will be closed at this point at the end of the prayer. I'll say, if you want to make that prayer, prayer, just raise your hand and then you can respond and you can come into that relationship with God and you can be sure if you want to. Okay, this morning, maybe we should start with the most famous verse in the Bible, which says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. God so loved you that he was prepared to sacrifice what was most precious to him so that absolutely everyone here could experience for themselves the love of God. You can come to know God personally today. This can be the day of days. Whoever you are, Jesus says in this verse, you can have eternal life. So I love this verse, but there is... One word in this verse that I'm not so keen on. I I guess I feel a bit uncomfortable about it. It is the word perish. Now, what is that all about? Am I really in danger of perishing? Well, I thought maybe we could get into this by me sharing uh, with you, if you don't mind, a, a funny story. This is something that happened about a year after Julia and I were married about a year after we'd been married, we were lying together one night next to each other in bed. Don't worry. Don't worry. That This will not be embarrassing for you. Um, and Julia turns to me and she, she was very sleepy. She says, talk to me. I said, pardon? She said, Talk to me. I said, it doesn't really work like that. I said, um, if you want to initiate conversation, really, you need to ask me a question. Uh, You need to uh, maybe make a remark, maybe an observation on current events or something, to which I can then respond. And she said, oh, she said, oh, talk to me about, I don't know, American history. (laughs) I said, Certainly, I'd be only happy, only too happy to do so. I said, um, the United States of America was founded in the late 18th century by revolutionaries and intellectuals, much influenced by the French Enlightenment. And I said, hang on a minute. You're not interested in American history. She said, yeah, I know, but she said, the sound of your voice... The sound of your voice helps me go to sleep. (laughs) The sound of your voice helps me go to sleep. In that moment, I realized this horrible realization that for a whole year, I've been lying there next to it, making all these interesting comments. (laughs) 
all these fascinating observations, educational summaries, gems of wisdom. And it turns out that for a whole year, all of this has actually been nothing more than background noise. (laughs) Which helped my new wife go to sleep. But what about all the things that I've said to my wife, Julia, that have hurt her? I mean, what about the things that I've said? You know, I'm I'm 54. I've said quite a lot of things to other people that have hurt them as well. Could this be where this perishing thing comes in? I have a cup here. Let's imagine for a moment that every time I've said something that's hurt somebody else, said something wrong. Let's imagine it got written down on a tiny, tiny piece of paper and it's put into this cup. Let's imagine that everything I've ever said that was wrong is in here and let's imagine everything that I've ever done that's wrong. I mean, that gets put in here as well, written down and put in here. And now let's imagine everything I've ever thought, quite a lot of things I've thought that were wrong, they also somehow get written down on tiny, minuscule pieces of paper and put into the cup. So this cup is full of this stuff. Now let's imagine it's the end of my life and it's time for me to drink my cup, which would of course be fair enough because of course this is my stuff. I mean, this is a fair cop. This is actually me in here. It was me that said, thought and did all these things. This cup would contain all the sins, if you like, that I have committed. So let's imagine the scene. It's the end of my life And I guess I'm thinking about the fact that heaven is presumably a perfect place. That's what the Bible says anyway. The book of Revelation says about heaven, nothing impure will ever enter it. So that counts me out because there's quite a lot of impurity in me as I'm drinking my cup. All of this stuff is on me. In fact, the Bible says that actually all of us have sinned. And that we all fall short of the glory of God. And that the result or the wages of sin is death. That's the reality I'm facing. So there I am, I'm holding my cup. Let's imagine I'm kneeling down, it's the end of my life. And as I kneel down, I'm about to drink my cup. Let's imagine that Jesus of Nazareth is kneeling next to me. Now, Jesus, unlike me, he doesn't have a cup. Let's imagine we're in the Garden of Gethsemane in Jerusalem. I'm holding my cup. Jesus doesn't have a cup. Why doesn't Jesus have a cup? Well, according to the Bible, he never actually did anything wrong. He never sinned. Uh, He led a perfect life, and he did lots of amazing things. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He cleansed the lepers. He saw the blind see, the deaf heard, the lame walked. He had mastery over nature. He was able to calm the storm. He was able to walk on the water. He was able to multiply the loaves and the fish. Jesus' moral teaching has never been surpassed. The most beautiful moral teaching that's ever fallen from human lips. And yet he didn't have a cup because he'd never done anything wrong. So why is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane sweating Drops of blood. Why is he in agony of soul in the Garden of Gethsemane? The answer is because 
Jesus' father has just asked him, asked Jesus, to drink your cup and my cup. Why? Because if God is a just judge, then he can't just ignore wrongdoing. I mean, what would you think of a judge in Edinburgh who just completely ignored wrongdoing? You'd think, well, no, that the whole point of being a judge is that you judge justly. So these sins have consequences. Can't say it just doesn't matter. What's happened is that Jesus is in agony of soul because he's just been asked by his father to drink not just your cup, not just my cup, but the cup of every single person who would ever believe. Jesus has just been asked by his father to drink an absolutely massive cup of sin. And so Jesus understandably says, Father, if it's possible, if there is some other way whereby these people in Edinburgh can come to heaven when they die, Father, without me having to drink the cup, if we can find a way through, if there's, let's go down that road. If, there, if such a road exists, let's do that, please, Father. And when he finishes his prayer, the heavens are silent. There's no other way. Because he's unique. He's the only one who's never sinned. He's the only one who can take your cup because he's the only one who hasn't got to drink his own. There is no other way. And so Jesus magnificently says to his father, okay, not my will, but yours be done, father. He says yes to the father's plan. He drinks your cup, the bitter cup. In fact, as he was on the cross, when he had drunk down your cup to the bitter dregs, as he finished the cup, he actually said, it is finished. Cup drunk, job done, all of your sins taken upon the body of Jesus Christ so that you could be forgiven. You hand him your cup, he gives you his righteousness. You had in your sin, you receive his forgiveness. What an amazing deal. This is the deal that's on offer in a few minutes' time. As the band come back and we go to pray, you can swap with Jesus. He'll take your cup. You can have his righteousness. God so loved you that he gave his one and only son so that if you believe in him, he drinks your cup. You'll never drink your cup. You'll never drink your cup. Jesus has drunk it. Jesus perishes on the cross. You never perish. You have eternal life. Wow, so you can come. What an opportunity. Whoever you are, whatever worldview you're coming from, whatever background you're coming from, everyone can get in. Everyone can come. Literally every single person that can hear my voice, you can come. You can get in. You can have eternal life today. This is why Jesus is the most famous person in the world, because he's the one who did it. He made eternal life possible for you when he died on the cross. He's opened a way of salvation. This is so relevant to you. You can come. And because Jesus rose from the dead, he's alive today. And I'd love to finish by sharing with you, if I may, just four, four benefits that I receive, that you receive when you 
put your trust in Christ. Things that will happen to you if they haven't happened already. Benefits that you get in this life, quite apart from heaven in the next, which is, of course, amazing. And I just want to spin through these as we close. So firstly, a new peace. When I put my trust in Christ, I received a new peace that was not there before. I knew that the God who made the universe was now at the steering wheel of my life. And I started to worry less. And when you worry less, you enjoy life more. Jesus said, a new peace I give to you, John 14 and verse 27. Maybe I can just share an, an illustration of this. This is a, a funny story that I read in the news, actually, a few years ago. There was a woman at the supermarket, and she's got two trolleys full of shopping, food shopping. She's got a big family to feed. She's got her two trolleys, but she's also got that sinking feeling because she's got three debit or credit cards, and she's worried that she's maxed out the credit on all three of these cards. So she's kind of imagining the scene as the queue's getting shorter. Oh, sorry, madam, that card's been declined. Oh, no matter, I've got another one. Sorry, madam, um, for some reason, madam, that card has also been... She's imagining what it's like, you know, like that horrible sinking feeling as everybody's turning to watch. This is all going on in her mind. Queue's getting shorter. There is only one bloke ahead of her by this stage in the queue. This bloke... He's just got one basket with four items. So, of course, his four items are scanned really quickly. And then the bloke on the checkout looks at his screen, looks at the bloke with the four items and says, Sir, I've got some good news for you, sir. Sir, my screen is telling me, sir, that you have just won our free shopping competition. (laughs) Sir, Congratulations are in order. My screen is telling me that you, sir, are our one millionth customer. And that means, sir, that all the items that you have brought to the checkout today are all absolutely free. The bloke looks down at his four items. But without missing a trick... He turns to the lady behind him in the queue, total stranger, the lady with the two baskets, two two trolleys, two trolleys of shopping. He throws his arms open wide, he looks at her, and he says, darling, (laughs) darling, he says, we've won. (laughs) He gives her a massive hug. She realizes what's happening, she gives him a massive hug back. our items they're all scanned she gets all of her shopping absolutely free my friend that is what Jesus has done for you stress beforehand peace afterwards it's his victory but he gives it to you second thing I realized is that now I've got Jesus who rose from the dead living in me. You know, when people met Jesus, what overwhelmed them about him was his compassion and his humility. He came for you. Jesus was an amazingly warm-hearted person. He truly loved people. He said, come to me. All you who are heavy laden and weary, 
I'll give you rest. He said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He said, if you're hungry, I'm the bread of life. Jesus offered us what he called abundant life, life to the full. And if, he, if we do follow him, he promises, I will be with you always, even to the very end of the age. And the Bible calls this Christ in you, the hope of glory, Jesus living in you. That was the second thing. Third thing that really helped me was experiencing the love of God. Now, we all have insecurities. I'm sure you'd agree. And so we work hard to try and cover over our insecurities. But then you discover that a bit like wearing a hospital nightgown, you're not as well covered as you thought you were. But if I am loved by the God who made the universe, then all my sense of worth comes from who God is and the fact he sacrificed his son for me. I've got nothing to prove to anyone. God loves you and me unconditionally. Now, to realize that for me was a wonderful change. It was so liberating to feel the love of God. God's love changed me. Here is, if you like, Jesus' most famous ever description of the love of God. If Jesus had his own Spotify playlist, this would be his most downloaded ever track. It's a famous story he told uh, about two sons. In this story, God the Father is likened to the father figure in the story, and then the younger of the two sons is likened to you and me. Act 1, scene 1 in this story. The younger of the two sons says to his father, give me my money now. Give me my inheritance now. His dad's still alive. He hasn't died yet. Still asking for his dad's money. He's just still alive, for goodness sake. No, come on. I want the money now. Takes his inheritance early. Squanders all the money. And then he's down on his knees. Money's run out. Jesus said at this point, he longed to eat the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So he thinks, even the pigs are better off than me. So he comes to his senses and he, he starts heading home and he thinks, right, obviously I've blown it with my dad. Um, but maybe I could be like one of the guys that works on the farm. So he's going home, he's practicing his little speech. Oh, Father, I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you. This is his rehearsal. Um, make me like one of your hired men. All this time he's getting closer back to the family farm. But God the Father figure in the story. The Father figure who presumably must have been scanning the horizon every day, thinking, this might just be the day when my boy comes home. When he sees you coming, he runs. He hitches up his legs in the heat of the day. He says, hitches up his skirts, bears his legs, and runs to you. He throws his arms around you. He kisses you. And he says to his servants, quick, get the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. Put sandals on his feet. Let's kill the fattened calf and celebrate. And they have this massive celebration over you. That's how much God the Father loves you. And you know, in the same chapter in Luke 15, we actually get an insight into what happens in heaven whenever anyone does that, whenever anyone comes back to God. This is actually an insight into what will happen in this room in about 10 or 15 minutes when 
the band comes back, we sing the song, the prayer comes up on the screen, and I'll say, and if you want to make that prayer your prayer, then while everybody's eyes are closed, why don't you raise your hand? This is actually what will happen. Luke 15 verse 7 tells us, the angels rejoice. The angels rejoice. Can you imagine the scene? God the Father says to the angels, 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 gather round. Angels, come with me to King's Church Edinburgh. And the angels are like, what, again? And God the Father says, yeah, again, come on, come on, come on. All the angels come, all the angels come. And God the Father says, right, can you see at the top, uh, at the balcony, yeah, lady in the white shirt with her hand up? That is Becky. That's the lady I told you about breakfast, remember? I told you she'd come. I told you she'd respond. And all the angels go, woo! This is Luke 15, verse 7. Woo! I'm just showing you what it says. And then God the Father will say, and look there, the back row downstairs, man in the um, white t-shirt, that is Andy. All the angels go, woo! Folks, the angels are not like bored, cynical, British angels. (laughs) Who are like, what is it you want me to do? You want me to rejoice? You want me to rejoice? Woo. <laughs> no. Luke 15 verse 7. The angels go, Woo, Andy, yes, well done, Andy. Becky, yes, come on. That is what's going to be happening in heaven, even this morning. Last thing this morning, freedom from the past. I'd like to share with you as I close a story. I'm going to change the name of the lady in this story I'm going to call her Hannah. When Hannah was 15, she was very unpopular at school, sadly for Hannah. And uh, what I'm about to tell you is something that, that wouldn't happen in UK schools today, okay? But this is like a real thing back in the day. So um, she's there at the end of the school day. Teacher has lost patience with her. So the teacher asks Hannah to stand in front of the class. And then the teacher offers the chalk to anybody in the class who wants to write on the blackboard what they think of Hannah. So one by one, the kids come up and they write various horrible, nasty, abusive names on the board. All this time, Hannah's facing forward. And then eventually, all 29 of them have written something on the board. And then the bell goes for the end of the school day. And the kids, the pupils leave the room. Then the teacher walks out. So now Hannah's on her own. And eventually, she turns around And she looks at this collection of 29 horrible, nasty, abusive names on the blackboard. She takes, if you like, a mental picture of those words, those names. Now, you won't be surprised to hear that many years later, Hannah went to see a counselor. Just so happened, this counselor was a Christian. The Christian counselor said, Hannah, what I'd like to try and do today is to show you, Hannah, who Jesus is. And what he was doing for you when he went to the cross. Picture yourself back in that classroom, looking at that blackboard. And then picture Jesus walking in, a young man, not carrying the wooden crossbeam that he actually did carry when he went to the cross. But picture him carrying a wooden board rubber. Hannah, picture Jesus rubbing out every single one of those 29 nasty, abusive names. Then imagine him getting a cleaner, squirting the board and 
rubbing it with a rag to cleanse every remaining trace of those horrible names. And then Hannah imagined Jesus picking up the chalk and writing on that blackboard who you will be, Hannah, if you put your trust in Christ, that you will be accepted, that you'll be adopted, that you'll be cleansed, that you'll be loved, that you'll be a daughter of God, and so on and so on and so on. You know what happened next? Hannah and the counsellor, they got in the car and they drove to the school. The school where it had happened, found the classroom, nobody else was there. It wasn't blackboard and chalk anymore, of course, it was whiteboard, computerised. Hannah sat in the chair where she used to sit and they managed to get those words up on the screen. And Hannah looked at the whiteboard and she saw that in Christ she was accepted, that she was adopted, that she was loved, that she was cleansed, that she was a daughter of God. And that day, Hannah put her trust in Christ. She wrote her name into our verse. She experienced freedom from the past. This makes not just for a happy life, but for a joyful life with heaven to come. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. 17 says that if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. You know, I started by showing you a picture of our four daughters. God had one son and yet loved you so much. He gave up his one and only son just to make it possible for you to respond to him this morning. So I'm asking you now, do you want the forgiveness that Christ offers You can come to him right now. You can come to Christ who says, I am the light of the world. You can come to him. You can come to Christ who says, I am the resurrection, the life. If anybody believes in me, even if they die, they'll live. You can come to him. Christ who says, I am the way and the truth and the life. You can come to him. And if you do come to him this morning in five minutes time, you will find God the Father running to you He'll throw his arms around you. And this morning, you can be embraced back into the arms of your loving, heavenly Father. Hey, I remember the first time I ever said my name in this verse. Maybe you'd like to think your name. I mean, it did feel a bit weird the first time I said it out loud. So maybe just think yours as I say mine. That God so loved Adrian Holloway, you, you just think your name, that he gave his one and only son, that if Adrian Holloway, you just think your name, should believe in him, Adrian Holloway won't perish. Adrian Holloway will have eternal life. You can write your name into this verse this morning. You can have this new start in life. A God who loves you that much. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. You can know the love of God. So we're going to sing a song by way of response. When this song ends, I'll come back. A very simple prayer that says, sorry, thank you. And please, will appear on the screens. Everybody's eyes will be closed. In fact, there are just a handful of prayer support team. Our prayer support team will keep their eyes open, but everybody else's eyes will be closed. And I'll just say, if you want to make that prayer your prayer, just raise your hand and you can make your peace with God and know the love of God. So shall we stand? Let's stand.
and let's sing. Let's sing together.